Hey. Hey everyone, Jacob here. I just wanted to drop in at the beginning of this episode to say that I won't be joining the conversation, and I've been missing uh, a lot of these podcast recordings over the past few months, mostly because I've been at work on some other big, exciting, exhausting projects that have sucked up a lot of my time, and because honestly recording a regular podcast and getting it out has been, I guess predictably... Uh, no piece of cake for any of us. It's it, This is a hard job, and there's a reason why some people do it full-time. Um, I'm actually sitting right now in the woods of northern Michigan. Uh, I uh, brought my audio recorder out here but did not bring the windscreen, which is probably why it sounds terrible, and you'll hear these kind of popping noises as I'm talking just during this intro section. Uh, yeah, that's my breath hitting the microphone. Sorry about that. I'm going to try to do what I can in post, but it's it's not going to sound good, uh, so forgive me. Anyway, it's absolutely beautiful out here. You can probably hear the sounds around me. Um, I'm sitting at a little table outside of a rented cabin, typing up the notes to say these words that you're hearing right now. Um, the background sound that you heard is me typing out what I wanted to say and what I am now saying. Anyway... I'm here for a friend's wedding, and uh, Nick is actually staying in the same cabin. So we hope to record an episode together while we're out here. Um, The first one with the two of us in a long time. Uh, My schedule is clearing up a bit now, or at least getting a little bit more flexible. So I should be able to join in more frequently in these podcast episodes moving forward. But um, in the meantime, just a huge thanks to uh, Brian for covering for us and sort of playing swing during this time. He's going to obviously continue to participate and be a co-host on the podcast. And also uh, a huge thank you to everyone who has kept listening throughout this time and a really special thank you to all of you who have continued to support us through Patreon. Uh, You're the best and we really appreciate it and we hope that at the end of this tunnel there's going to be some new Far Off Sounds films coming out of it. So... Now, here's a conversation between Nick and black metal musician, recording artist, producer, uh, avant-garde music freak, and tenants union activist, local to my city of L.A., but an old friend of Nick's, uh, Jesse Sains. Enjoy. The legend lives on from the Chippewa on down of the big lake they call Gitchagumi. The lake it is said Yo. never Yo. gives up her dead when the What's skies going on? of November turn. Uh, great to see you. Great to see you too, dude. Incredible. Uh, where, where are you at? Is, I, this, uh, is this work? Is this studio? Is this the house? Um, it is work. It's the studio of Jeff McFetridge, uh, the artist I work for, who's in the background Word. here. that's cool you've been doing that for a few years now haven't you yeah i met jeff in the summer of 2016 uh really serendipitously in copenhagen 
and was it was like right around the time I was looking for a job I was working for another artist a painter and it really sucked but I liked the I liked the work and I'd worked in other studios that were like bigger and I saw that there was like room to be ambitious uh inside of someone else's studio which compared to what I was doing with music at the time seemed really appealing for a lot of ways and then it turned out uh Jeff and I worked really well together and his studio is really exciting so it's been five years <laughs> nice that's what's up <laughs> And that's uh, uh, what part of LA is is the studio in? It's in Atwater Village. He's had this building for I don't know since I was like a teenager, uh, and it's a sick part of LA. He's been here, yeah, for long enough that it's like even I've seen like the neighborhood change. But he's been here since before that, so I don't know. It's a right. It's right. a cool zone. So it was I can bike to work. It was studios. Oh, that's cool. So it's near. You're. Are you still in Highland Park? No, I live in Lincoln Heights. It's south okay. of Highland Park, but all this is in Northeast LA. Like when you okay. talk to me about LA, it's really funny. Like I'm actually talking to you about like one really small, teeny pocket of Los Angeles, and it's like <laughs> once I cross, like once I go west of like downtown or the 101, I I'm totally hopeless without Google Maps. Yeah. I just have no idea where I am. <laughs> yeah, I've been to like, I've, I think I've been to like Santa Monica three times in the last eight years. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, I think I've been to Santa Monica three times and I've only been to LA like twice, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Well, that's great. I'm, I'm, what's, what's like a typical day of work like for you then? Um, uh, well, honestly, that's that kind of the cool thing about the studio is there's no typical day. So it actually ends up working really well with music stuff and other things that I do outside of the studio. Um, I just try to like match sort of my projects to the tide of what's going on with Jeff's projects and it usually works out. And I mean, that is kind of like that's the cool. best part about working for an artist which is not something i really realized that i wanted in a job but like someone who's like sympathetic to like your own creative like the, yeah. you know if i have if i say like you know i'm gonna go play this show he there's sort of, sort of like i can assume that he's gonna respect that or you know like he yeah, yeah. i like know that he gets it he's not gonna be like oh vacation huh <laughs> where like my <laughs> <laughs> Like, you know, work at like an, you, you know, like one of the dudes oh, yeah. in, yeah, yeah, I work, I'm, I play in a band with a guy who like works at like a coffee roasting place where they don't, they don't care if he's playing in a band or playing golf. It's all the same to them. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Makes sense. Um, well, that's cool. So now you have like this, this gig where you get like a little bit of, of leeway and kind of can focus on your stuff. Like. I guess what have you been up to lately? I know you've been active in the um like organizing like the LA Tenants Union lately which has been awesome to see from afar. 
Um, yeah, that's been really crazy. Like, uh, yeah. And a lot of my participation with the tenant union actually fully started in music um, in kind of a circuitous way. But in 2013, sort of as a way to like balance out some of the hardcore project, like, like hardcore band, as opposed to just, yeah, I was playing in a hardcore band and it was really sick, but I wanted to do something else also that like wasn't hardcore. You know, I think like people, I would like talk to people and, be, and like, I think collaboration is really rich. I think it's really fun. It's definitely like one of the sickest parts about like doing music or art, but when you play sort of like these genre based musics, there's a relatively narrow vocabulary you can use. And when you apply it to other shit, it loses a lot of the power of that vocabulary in the first place. So like I had friends who were doing like cool fresh and stuff or something and they'd like want to do something with my hardcore band. And I'd be like, uh, no, <laughs> uh, but it didn't mean that I didn't want to do stuff with them. So I wanted something else, kind of like another project that could be basically ripe for all these sort of opportunities to do stuff with other people that I like thought were interesting and was, would be a little bit more, I, I don't know, like direct, like it would have a little bit more of a mission, you know, it would be making art, not just for art sakes, but towards some kind of end and, uh, yeah some kind of social end or some sort of communicative end and that project started in 2013 called free the land and uh oh 2013 is when that started yeah oh wow i thought this was a relatively new thing this is almost nine years old now or nine years old it's crazy to think about it like that but yeah i mean it was like i wanted to I was like really stuck. Like I didn't know what to do. So I just like, like I started a Tumblr and I started like making these collages and like a lot of animated, like I would scan a bunch of paintings and like collages I would make and then animate them like super simply. And I did a few zines. And then when I finally moved to LA, it was like, pretty focused on the zine thing uh I think like the first scene was like um I took all these takeout menus from around uh downtown LA where I was living um and it was like uh you know all these really goofy restaurants that would have like it's just like the whole menu is kind of, was like a stoned college kid with like a credit card in Whole Foods. You know what I mean? It would be like, oh, it's like fig prosciutto stu stuffed crust pizza. <laughs> it was, sure, okay. It was just like totally jump the shark style. Like, you know, you could be anywhere in America. The same gentrified neighborhoods are going to have the same kind of like Goofy oh yeah, new American cuisine. Yeah, I I feel that really disrespects both America and cuisine. <laughs> but <laughs> and the concept of anything being new, straight up. 
anyways, it was a, it was like, I took that, but then would find trash that had some kind of, you know, natural fiber, like some stick or some bark or some feather in it. And I would juxtapose a menu item from one of the takeout menus, like the description with the trash that came from outside of their oh, cool. restaurant and yeah. sold it at the, uh, the LA art book fair, you know, like the printed matter thing and mm-hmm. started like talking to, I don't know. That felt like sort of like a launching thing. It like took you three years to sort of figure out like, okay, like, what is this? Like, I want to do an, I want to do a thing called free the land. And I want it to be something that I do with other people. And I'm competent at several different forms. So let's just see what like rolls down the hill and then like kind of take it from there. So it was like the opportunity to zines came up. I was like, all right, we'll do it with free the land. And then um, uh, Brennan Fowler, this artist out here in LA, who also sort of really helped me figure out a lot of those kind of things, um, was like, why don't you do, make, make some kind of like, make some project that's like a, that could fit on a USB drive. He wanted to start a record label that was a USB label. And I thought that was exciting. So then I spent like another year working on that. And that was sort of like the first music broader release of Free the Land. And I want to say that was like 2016 or 17. And I made a record with this guy, Niall Morgan, uh, who's... Um, I, I met when he was a teenager doing this noise project called wrong hole from here in LA, just unbelievable tape noise coming from a kid who looked like he was like 15 and, uh, yeah, it was just really exciting. Um, it's cool just to do that. But it was like, now there was like three parts of it, like the art part, mm-hmm. the, music part the digital something like zine like disseminated stuff but like also kind of organizing around like i guess leftist politics i mean that's like something i think i've that's something i've always been in so like i think like the Mm -hmm. idea was like all right i'm going to do a project that's not like constrained by the prescriptions of the genre i want to do something that's like about me, Jesse, you know, something like kind of like timeless or something like that. But like, I also don't want to pretend that's like all who I am. I think what's interesting also is a lot of this is like coming around, like at the dawn of social media being like this, like one for one parallel universe, which I don't yeah, think, like, I think that, existed I, when I was in punk, yeah. you know, where now that's like, people take that for granted. But like, I think like, Hoax was the first hardcore band with a SoundCloud, <laughs> you know, and we, I was always like interested in like trying to do like, what, I don't know, like I, I even remember like in, when I got MySpace and like looking around and I remember like the first like D-beat, like MySpace pages that I saw, like these like crust lords, like from, 
Southern California, like dudes with like one dreadlock, they're equally into like grind and like um but yeah, they were like had like, you know, disclosed in their like top eight spaces in my space. I just was like, this is crazy. Like <laughs> <laughs> like I always thought this stuff had sort of like a it meant that you had a special interest in computers or the internet, but it was clear yeah, that no, okay. you didn't, you just had to exist. And all these sort of things that were beginning to emerge on the internet were like little, like, like prefabbed machines that you could propagate with any identity or anything. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, yeah, I don't want to like be forced to like say that like, Oh yeah, this is going to like be propagated with like who I really am. I was like, I'm going to make this thing called Free the Land and propagate it with that. So like one of the first projects that Free the Land did actually, this was like in 2013 or 14, is like um, I, I reviewed all these spots on Yelp from an account called Free the Land. Um, but I reviewed them as if it, we were living in some sort of like dystopian post-apocalyptic kind of situation. Like... Um, I don't know if you remember this, but like there was like this cafe in Northampton that was like just to the east of town a little bit before you get into a railroad track. But it was like built out of like, you know, had these big booths and stuff. So like the review was like, yo, you can you if you're if you're out and like the nuclear fallout really starts raining hard, you can pen your animals that you're hurting in the booth and the thick walls make it so that you probably won't be heard when like the Christian ISIS raiders come through looking for their cannibal sacrifices and stuff and nice. uh good sun on the rooftop. If you need to recharge any sort of like solar punk situation, like gear yeah, yeah, that you yeah. have and all the, oh, cool. all the reviews got like deleted and I got banned, but I was, I was like, yeah, that's sick. Like this is a thing that you can just, Free the land is like this whatever I can like sort of like imply what it is, but propagate all these pre-existing sort of forms that are a lot easier than say like propagating. Oh, like someone wants me to pr submit a painting to an art show. Like, fuck, what am I going to paint? I have to be like interested in painting. It's like, I'm really <laughs> interested just in yeah. this idea of, yeah, sort of like, I don't even know if I want to say leftist politics, but yeah, that's basically what it is. Some kind of worldview that I can put my name on. Yeah. You know, like I like makes sense. a lot of different things and I'm relatively open-minded and I like, I'm definitely not shy of any kind of like aesthetic or. Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems like a kind of like a, um, I'm not really put a platform off to be. Yeah, it seems like a platform to be creative and you're able to like uh interact with other communities via the the free the land um project, I guess if if we want to call it something. Yeah. Um it's 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 an easy way to interact with uh people that you wouldn't have normally uh interacted with via let's say like your involvement with music and that like like your music is 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 like I'd, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I think it's esoteric. Um, you know, it's very extreme music, right? It's it's uh, incredible, hardcore punk. And then your solo work is very like, 
I don't know, like dissonant power electronics, uh, excellent stuff. But like, uh, yeah, it's not like those are very like if you're if you're exploring a creative practice through only those lenses, it's going to be really tough to interface with uh, anything outside of those communities. So Free the Land makes a lot of sense for like a way for you to actually engage with a lot of people. But it also seems like it's it's grown into something a lot more and is not necessarily even about you like uh it's it's totally. it's it's much like an online community that like has a lot of IRL elements to it like i i know like i'm in i've been in the free the land discord for like what two years now or as long as i've had discord i think it was the first discord i joined Sick. and i, I learned people, how to use discord through it from yeah. art world and music world and stuff like that because we started I think that that's actually a really good example. It's not just like with other communities, but it's even with people who I see and interact with all the time. And they might be like, they know that I do music or something. And when they think of music, I think what they're, they're not thinking of this and they're right. They're correct to not think of this, but it's like, you know, I can't play, I can't play an instrument. (laughs) Like, I don't know what notes are in stuff. Like, <laughs> when I make music, I'm doing something kind of else. It's like presenting myself and packaging something to communicate a very narrow thing with a very specific vocabulary, and that's it. And sometimes it even feels weird to call music. So it's like I meet people through those through that larger world of music. But when we want to interact, I know what they mean is they're trying to tap into some kind of like your capacity to do stuff. Not necessarily like, oh, I would like to feature this like uninhibited profanity spewing id. You know, like they want, so it's like, it's given me a language to be like, yeah, this is some different shit. <laughs> you know, like, we like, yeah, don't worry about that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, like, it's, um, it's a cool like community. I've, 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 um, I've had a great time uh, poking around that discord in the, the very like bizarre, hyper-specific channels that take me a while to figure out what they're all about. But, you know, like a friend of mine moved to LA and is like interested. He's like uh, in the LA Tenants Union, does volunteer work for them and is also like an avid gardener. And I was just happy to be like, hey, I I know like a a loose community in LA through a friend of mine. And I, you know, introduced Brendan to Discord via Free the Land as well. Um, it's, it's It's been cool to see from afar. Um, that, I do find that like a lot of the topics are very like LA centric. So I, you know, uh, kind of <laughs> don't necessarily have an angle to participate there, but the music recs are always on point. It's fun to drop in and say GM. So uh, it's, it's cool. I, I'm, I'm digging it. Yeah. Um, that is like, or I want to say two things on that topic, just cause I am so proud of like the people who've been in, 
been in free the land and sort of like made it what it is it's like fully not about me anymore like i think it stopped being kind of like jesse centric after the first release and it was like clearly that like okay well niall morgan's made over half of this record so it's not just me and that was really liberating too to be like oh damn this is like this band that's going to get asked to play shows and people who want to play shows but aren't in the band can play them you know proverbial shows proverbial band but discord was one of these forms where i was like okay i don't want to like a discord for my friends or whatever but i had heard of discord because of unite the rights you know the white power march in oh, yeah. charlottesville in 2017 and I was reading about it and I had heard of discord, but like sort of, there was like some kind of like on the media, you know, like a NPR, like deep dive into like how discord was used to organize the March and stuff. Oh, wow. And I was like, okay, that is a sick tool. And there's no reason that white supremacists should have purchase on it just because they have like more interest in violent video games. Like let's like, I'm going to make a free to land one, not because I have anything to say, but just because I know how to propagate digital forms with the substance of free to land. So we just like built it out in the, you know, like as someone who's been around, it's like, if someone, if I was like, yo, Nick George, I'm going to get hit by a car tomorrow. Will you take over the free land Twitter? Like you would be able to do it. You know what I mean? Just because like, you know, the thing, you know, like, okay, I put a funny picture and say GM and I got to like talk, you know what the take is. Like, you know, sure. like not to be like too preachy. You're not supposed to be like finger wagging. It's about like things that, yeah, I don't know. Like it, it, you just sort of pick up on it. It's like learning any other kind of language or whatever. Um, is there a goal of, of free the land? Is there a mission? Um, I think it's more like process-based and that's a mission in and of itself. You know, I think that like mm -hmm. there was a series of art shows that we did sort of like more involved sculpture and installation shows that were mostly done with or done with a, a group, but Aaron Miller, who runs the label Bleak Environment and, uh, now lives in LA, but is from Denver originally, dude I knew through hardcore. And then uh, Henrik um, Soderdom, who's from Stockholm, and him and uh, another artist, Callie Malone, helped do these sculpture shows first in Sweden, then in the States. I think there was four altogether. And those were kind of like, research projects like how to extend the free the land take into like physical forms that had to do with weird ecological aesthetic you know i think that like i was like being like i could tell in, that there were these certain sort of like speculative fiction fashion kind of things emerging in trend and I felt like as someone who was like really into Margaret Atwood I could sort of like forecast it a little bit so we were like let's just make these sculptures right now because we can we know what they're going to look like um we did, one of the first insulate one was for, for, for this like art director who was working with kaleidoscope and they were like we need a bunch of like future desert 
climate change dystopia sculptures or whatever. And I was like, free land, bro. We've got this. And <laughs> um, those uh, those sculpture shows, you know, like if we got more in, interested in like writing the press releases, like that became a whole thing and like doing sort of like media build up and anticipation of those shows and showing the work we got a little bit more into like okay you're like you're you're using all this like visual language what are you gonna if you're gonna decode it for people like how are you gonna map that onto like something that you're actually saying and all it, it was cool working with four different artists who were like genuinely curious all pretty skeptical not already like indoctrinated with all like the like woke shit that you're supposed to say but were like genuinely curious about like investigating these things through their own art coming up to conclusions that there were like touchstones in history for and like precedent for in things that were happening around us i mean obviously but like things like water use and land rights and displacement and sort of ecological like sort of there's like a lot of like touching back to Bookchin on a bunch of stuff Murray Bookchin and like mm -hmm. that kind of felt like everyone was like getting on board and we started definitely going someplace so I would say like from 2017 to like 20. 19 like the last show in 2019 we had some clear like what about like tree sitting in la like what like like we like one of the pieces like having like a tree sit in la you like make a tree sit like on your block whereas you think of tree sits in like some beautiful rainforest but like let's think about like like our communities as a place that are some sort of like really diverse ecological space for a variety of different people from a variety of different backgrounds and you also need this homeostasis and you should also defend that with the same kind of like proactive stances that you would apply to like non-human ecologies right and uh then it was like kind of clear is like yo wait so we really good at working together we're really good at like propagandizing we're really good at like making stuff happen in different forms we're good at meeting new people We've just like sharpened this tool set that let's like apply to something. And I think that like for a handful of us, like Henrik really pivoted to art and he just like went into art school and is like totally killing it now making sculpture and multimedia installation with a really like sort of rich digital kind of thing going on, lots of computer crazy stuff. And me, I just joined the tenant union. You know, I was like, oh, yeah, like it's everything I do for FTL, but like now instead of in service of making this like goofy, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's like these are the people that I'm going to collab with now. But it was like a one for one mapping the skill set onto another thing that that was the mission. It was something that was like, it's always been kind of like a prototype thing, like even like figuring out like, making that record with Nile, that really blew my mind in a lot of ways. And it changed my like, uh, it changed the way I make noise music a lot, you know? Cause I was like, oh, like I figured out all these things where like, 
it was it was less like the aesthetic that mattered, but more like the substance. You know, I needed to make an FT like the substance needed to be FTL. The aesthetic could be like whatever it is. Like you could have an FTL gore grind band. You know, like that didn't matter. But what I was able to do is like in making this kind of like noise release. I figured out all these other ways of making music that I wouldn't have thought of or done if I just was setting out like, okay, like I'm going to make an industrial track right now, which is like the only thing I would ever do when sitting down in front of synthesizers before, you know, like doing it all one way. So it was like a way to prototype. It's always like sort of like a way to prototype something else. Like I already know what it's going to be and what it's going to be about. You just like make it and see what it actually is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you you said you don't play an instrument and you don't know what notes are. You don't you know don't know music theory, but you're able to play synthesizers and you're able to perform and and sit down and and actually make music. Um, I don't know, like what I, I it's it's because like I I knew you. I mean, we met in college, and then I don't think I. Like I, it was almost like just like one day you had a huge synth setup and like we're, we're totally in command of it. And there was like nothing between like singing in a hardcore band and then where you're like, there, there was no like, I don't know. I didn't see like any uh, progression other than like you came to Detroit once and all of a sudden you had a, like a ton of gear and like we're like in full command of it. Like what, when was the first time you like, because I think you have command of the instrument that you're playing, even though it, I don't know what the hell it is. It's a bunch of synths, right? Um, but what was like the first step into the world of of an instrument? Because you can't, I can't, you can't just say you don't play instruments now. You do. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's like I think it's like playing an instrument the same way like a DJ is playing an instrument. You know, like you have sort of these machines that are pretty capable on their own and you sort of steer them in the right direction. And I think one of the thing about the overlap between playing in the hardcore band and doing something with electronic music is it's a You're still playing off an audience. Like even when you're recording, you're imagining audience response, or, you know, even if you like you or your own audience and sort of, I think I'm conditioned to like have, like re- resp- respond to like buildup, anticipation, these like things that happen in the arc of seeing something really engaging. So it's like, I think about the, you know, the command of the instrument uh, being kind of like, the same as like singing to a crowd. Like if no one's into it, you can't just like act like it's this crazy show. Like you have to get them into it or change the way you're, you know, the same way a DJ is going to be like, okay, the crowd types, okay, I got to bring it down and out. Like, and honestly, it's the same for organizing. Like when I talk to, when I go to a meeting, you know, how do I, read the you got to read the room you got to say where you got to talk where people are at you can't go in with this idea of like all right i know exactly what i'm going to say and everyone's going to just like get into it you are really responding to other people's responses in real time yeah because like otherwise you're just kind of giving a presentation 
and it feels like it. Yeah, or like trying to like, I mean, it's the, it's, I've never like felt like it's the worst playing to a crowd that's not into it. I'm always like, okay, well, you got to play a different kind of set if they're not going to be yeah. into it. It's, and you can have, you can have a really cool set with an audience that doesn't think they're going to be into it. That can be like really, really exciting too. Uh, but, in, but yeah, I, I, anyways, I get yeah, it. The, like the gear so, is what you were asking yeah. about is dude, I was super secretive. Um, and kind of like really anxious. I had so many talented friends when we knew each other, like people who were just so awesome at music and like, knew everything just like walking encyclopedias like when i think about dudes that like we would kick it with like phil whiteside zach davis van daly sitting around it was just like that scene in the you know the scene in the matrix where like they're stuffing chips into keanu's head or whatever and he's like <laughs> yeah 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 i know kung fu <laughs> it was like i went from being like such a one-dimensional like i was like no i don't just like hardcore i like punk to like someone who is like you know doing like deep dives on like my friends uh they would like you would share your aim your music through aim and i'd be like looking for all these weird like digital dance hall like rare singles and stuff that like i heard yeah. them talking about and shit and definitely got super into techno and Yeah, that was they were huge on digital dance hall and and techno. It was like you like I remember <laughs> we were hanging out. Ben Daly was like, "You got any ideas? Like, what do you want to listen to?" And I was like, "Man, like you always just pick the music. Like I I stopped coming up with ideas of stuff to listen to." He's like, "No, like throw something out. Like, what do you want to listen?" To? I was like, "I don't know. Like Brian Eno. Let's put on like Brian Eno." He's just like, "Dude, I'm not listening to Brian Eno." <laughs> I was like, "All right, dude." All right, go back to fucking researching your shit and and like playing it for everyone, and it's super cool. I remember that era, but it was uh, it was it was super uh, educational at the same time. Um, it was it was nice nice to not like to just like sit back and like there was always someone who wanted to put on some new track that they had just discovered, even though it was probably recorded in the early '90s in Chicago. Uh, it was it was sweet. Um, but yeah, so like, dude, I, I mean, I, don't I can't know. So, tell you so, how many times in the last ten years something has like come up or like become cool or like you know the pop culture has like discovered it or like hipster culture has like discovered it and like been like, oh, check it out, he's back, Tommy Wright the Third, and I'm like, damn, Ben Daly played me that shit in 2007, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or like, I don't know. I became numb to occasions like that. It's it's just too too frequent. It, dude, it really. It, anyways, all that to say, making my own stuff and putting my name on it was seems like an impossibility. It was like not my thing, sort of. So like, the two ways that I sort of like figured out to make art was like in doing like mail, like mailing people really, really elaborate shit or like making super elaborate gifts for 
friends and mixtapes like and a it was like really fun but b it was like i was really interested in music culture and stuff and all my friends were seeing music so it also helped like sort of cement a bunch of relationships with people who i met through music and knew their music but i didn't you know that i wasn't they couldn't have that same knowledge of me and one of those dudes was Griffin Pin, who came through when with like DJ Dog Dick, and uh, he was from Kansas City and knew of this place that I had lived in uh, called the Lemp Art Center when I was like in high school and had had like a it definitely discouraged me from ever trying to make music you know i was like super super hmm. harshly criticized for ever making what? any kind of attempt to like what happened uh, i don't want to get into it it was just a sure it was i was really young and sensitive and yeah it was like a harsh place to be i don't know yeah, uh, yeah. but like griffin was griffin knew like we'd been to the same shows and seen the same bands and stuff in high school. So seeing him mm-hmm. now, like me being in college and kind of like being like, what the fuck am I doing here? I feel like I'm just like trying to like scrape by in between like, you know, driving 10 hours to hardcore fest with my friends who don't go to college and mm-hmm. having him be like, Oh yeah, dude, like you could totally do it. Like, it just seems I was just like this is a I want to do this <laughs> I don't know it just sort of yeah. like stuck in my head and I mean it seems like he was also like uh, a performer who didn't know how to play any instruments either yeah totally exactly I mean yeah. it was really inspiring <laughs> <laughs> uh, so like after being in hoax for a couple years it started dawning on i i was like really depressed about the prospects that um you know this band it was gonna end obviously there was no way it could continue uh and what was gonna happen like was was i gonna like lose all my friends like i felt like really a lot of pressure to like keep on making or something like trying to figure out I don't know so and I just would always keep about <laughs> thinking about Griffin you can totally do it man so <laughs> I think in 2000 like 11 or 12 um I went and bought uh just some gear offline like off of uh Craigslist and stuff around the Pioneer Valley and maybe I spent like two or three hundred bucks on like a synthesizer, uh, an SP202, a little teeny mixer, and this like broken drum machine that actually came from like some punk house and there was like in their basement and there and they were like, You can turn it on, but we don't really get what it does or how it works. And I was like, <laughs> Okay, sick. And I tried 
just like making stuff and like then trying to like listen to stuff that kind of sounded like what I made and be like oh like could I I, I don't know just sort of like playing around and sort of just trying to gravitate towards what I liked and then trying to do a little research on what I was making because uh, it was like I was in I've always been into noise like sort of coming from a small small scene St. Louis like you uh, it's not like you can be into some like micro niche of punk like you're gonna well, I think, you're gonna go see a band yeah. and there's gonna be like everyone who's ever heard of punk in the entire town you, you right. know what I mean it's like you're, it's, it's, there's no way not to have a mixed bill there's not enough just like noisy crusty bands to fill out the entire lineup you're gonna have to play with mm -hmm. some fucking Scott Klesmer band because they're like the only dudes <laughs> around Sklesmer Sklesmer dude <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, the Midwest was a hotbed of, of, of noise. It was cool because you'd go to your first noise show and then instantly just be like, yeah, I can I can do this. Like, that doesn't seem hard. And then you, like, try doing it, and actually it is kind of hard. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. Like, it's easy to make very formless, whatever, experimental music, but then, like, trying to hone it in on something that, you know, you're going to gravitate towards is, is a little more complex to that. Uh, uh, but yeah, I feel you there. It was, it's common. That was common. And that's why you see like so many great noise bands from like Cleveland, Columbus, St. Louis, Minneapolis, uh, the Midwest was, was Dude, all about that. Totally. And I was those dudes who like, I think I, I thought that was sick. And I like when I moved to, you know what I mean? It was like, you could go see like screamo bands and stuff and it just like would be a bunch of you know like i don't know i'm sure you've been to like electronic music shows where someone's playing like this fucking like wild dance beat but there's only like 20 people there and they're just standing with their arms crossed like nodding their heads like mm -hmm. listening to the music it was like mm -hmm. that was happening like at a lot of like weird screamo type of shows and like post-rock sort of everything kind of sounded like shellac a little bit like I just wasn't into it, but then there would be like some dudes. I think Realicide was one of the Joe Regliani for sure. I remember seeing him and like just being like, yeah, like I don't like getting like serious like Joker vibes, <laughs> you know, and be like yeah, really, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really <laughs> just being like this, this, all right, tight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, shit, Thor, like, Thor okay. Seven, also, like, another project where I was just like, okay, I have no idea what this is, but, like, after the show, I would picture myself, like, at the drum set with, like, contact mics taped to me. Yeah, like, yeah. I would be like, that. that is so sick. Sword Heaven was so sick. <laughs> I loved those shows. Those, there's Cincinnati band, right? Uh, or Lexington, was it? I was going to, I have no idea, but both those sound right. It's to me. one of those. It's got to be one of those two. What, and the, like, the drummer from that band has like the Guinness Book world record for like longest hula hoop or whatever. Is that right? That's, that's the dude, right? <laughs> it's so I, cool. <laughs> I had no idea. 
I remember that he did like it was like streamed and everything. It took him two attempts, but he like nailed it on the second one. Like he was like 20 hours into it the first time and he, and he like got too tired or something. But then like a month later, he trained and like did 28 hours straight of hula hooping. And he like he had a stream going the whole time. You could like watch him eat like while he was hula hoop. Anyway, super cool. Uh I think that's like my biggest takeaway from Sword Heaven. God, it's so uh, sick. The, that dude. Yeah, it's really sick. Um, but yeah, that was always like yeah. in that was always like the stuff that like I was like kind of the most attracted to growing up, and I think like punk and hardcore is sort of like an obvious expression of that kind of energy. Uh, so then when I moved to the East Coast, that sort of like outsider. Like, I'm trying to express something here. Like, that was not in the noise music that I was going to. Like, it, my first year in Hampshire College, I was like, well, this sucks. Like, it's like dudes in crazy mu- mustaches, like being like quirky or like, it's all like goofy sounds. And like, that's not what I was really into. But then I could go to Boston and it would be like this stuff that just looked like out of the movies to me. Like, I felt like I was like, I mean, it was just like 500 kids, all three times my size, beating the living shit out of each other and having the time of their lives. And, yeah, and I just, I was just like, that's not, you know, I'd, I'd been to like a, a couple big shows growing up, but like maybe like a hundred people or like, and it would be like once a year, maybe. And this kind of like kids jumping off of like balconies and stuff. It was like, I'm sorry. I just, I do not have time to go to some teeny venue and be really patient and listen to this thing that's like meditative or yeah, to a the small, freak folk era. Yeah, like I just yeah, I kind of weird America. I mean, I definitely <laughs> I like remember. regret like, or I mean, yeah, not regret, but like, there's that since then I've been like, damn, I can't believe I was around there for that, and instead of going to that, I was like trying to see like the mental record release show in Cambridge Elks Lodge on a school night. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was so, so like, I mean, you weren't in uh were you in or did you play in like hardcore bands at Hampshire when you were there? Nope. Uh, the one, when did, when did hoax start? Right after Hampshire, it was with, okay. Um, yeah, no, I, I, you know, I never even thought about being in a hardcore band. You know, I just was like, I really like hardcore. I have all these friends in hardcore. I'm really good at keeping in touch. And I lived at this venue, so met a lot of people. Mm, I drove bands around and stuff. I rodeed for Bones Brigade in Europe, like right before I started Hampshire, which was really fun. Sounds really fun. Uh, Did you have to pay your own way for something like that? Like when you went on tour with Bones Brigade, like I've always wanted to do something like that, but I could never like afford it, you know, and they're like, oh, we don't have enough like in the budget for you, stuff like that. I mean, no, they, I think, you know, maybe it's like I bought my plane ticket and they paid me back. I mean, it was awesome. I was like 18 and like I flew out there, uh, Yaron from Datos uh, was driving the tour. Um, it was super exciting. Uh, 
yeah, I don't know, like a six week long tour, <laughs> something ridiculous. Six weeks? It was so long, dude. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, you're 18. Why the fuck not? You could, you can handle that. Yeah. I Are mean, you like sleeping on on floors and stuff? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Putting you up at the Westin. <laughs> yeah, no, night. we're like you know on yeah. the floor of the venue that you just played at, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Damn. Okay, so so what, how did hoax? How did hoax start? In in. There were some dudes at UMass who were all into hardcore that I met basically my first month out in Western Mass because I wore, you know, punk band shirts every time I left Makes sense. my dorm. Just flag someone down. Yeah, yeah, and someone was like, yo, nice shirt. And then he turned out to be some dude who, I think he worked at Racanelli's and he, he was wearing some sort of like, early 2000 straight edge hardcore band t-shirt and i was wearing something you know there's probably only like 20 of each of these t-shirts in existence and we were both like whoa crazy and yeah he had a message board that was for all these like umass sort of like punks etc kind of like a viva la vinyl sort of scene Mm -hmm. uh but with this younger crowd myself and the dudes who like Dudes that you know, dudes in, who were in Hoax, uh, Tony Pascarosa, all these guys from Western Mass at the time were all on that message board. And it was pretty active. It was like an old BBS board and everyone had funny usernames and there was beef and drama. Nice. And yeah. Good, good great stuff. playlists. Everyone. Yeah. This is like a bygone era, but it was like, it was hard to use like lime wire and shit from the dorms you know there was like weird like fucking yep stuff that kept it like made it a little hard to pirate and stuff so like one of the ways that mm-hmm. you would get new music was you would share all the music in certain folders that you had via AIM like it was like like media fire links and stuff right no, rapid share before this before media fire was oh, even okay. a thing this is like it was even before five before yeah oh oh four oh five but definitely early college day it was like you know it was like before twitter you know i I remember explaining what twitter was to somebody was like you know how like when people leave their aim open when they go to class and they write like hey i'm going to class and then i'm going to go to lunch and that's just like their away away message message. that's like what twitter is it's just you say your away (laughs) message (laughs) i remember that was my explanation to somebody for what, when yeah, yeah. Twitter came up, but it was like that. And if you were friends with those people, you could be like share files, and so mm. people people would amass these like epic MP3 collections where it'd just be like, you know, the entire discography of like, yeah, whatever, all these killed by death type bands that I'd never mm. heard of, and I would just like download it incessantly and go through it. Uh, and that's kind of when I got into metal also and started like listening mm-hmm. to metal, but I, it, growing up in St. Louis had left such a shitty impression of metal on me, I think like, and sure. trying to, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, I was never like trying to go to shows or whatever, but that's like when I downloaded like the entire DSI discography, like mm-hmm. the entire morbid angel discography, like uh heard slayer for the first time also also the bones Rhea guys were 
exposed me to a bunch of like kind of like classic stuff yeah but yeah yeah. uh, that's interesting okay so you you started hoax just because you could like recognize signals based on like i don't know fashion and involvement with um uh certain communities so like did oh, like oh i, I wouldn't know like how, how does it like the, the the question the answer was so like i met all these dudes at umass who were also yeah, yeah. into hardcore whereas there wasn't anyone at our school who was into hardcore really and definitely not like going to shows and stuff and or in bands mm-hmm. and it was really maybe it was like right Some of those dudes started putting out records with Mark McCoy, um, and I was friend. Will Killingsworth was also on that message board and became like a friend through that and uh, through hanging out. And so when those dudes started doing bands, recording with Will, and then put out by Youth Attack. I was like, that's a cool thing to do and sort of, I don't know what it, I don't know how it happened. So then like eventually they, sure. the same dude started a new band and they were like, all right, we're going to let Jesse sing for this band. And I was like, fucking fine. Hell yeah. Was this the first band you were in? I was, in, I played in, I, I was in a band in high school called Dancing Feet March to War, where it was like, um, you know, maybe it was like our first show was going to be with an albatross and then they kicked me out of the band. Bummer. I know. Were you the singer? Yeah. Okay. And it, an albatross. And then, uh, <laughs> I, I know. Big band, and two, big band back then. So, yeah. The, the, the okay. band was supposed to kind of sound like dancing feet, march to war. And, uh-huh. um, I just, it was like friends of mine. They kicked you out. Through, that art center where they were mean to me and okay. i think that that, that that yeah that they were told like they had to kick me out or it was going to be bad or something damn i know it was Nuts. whack so you didn't you you swore off music participation for the rest of college no dude and, and then, then uh, actually my first year do you remember tony cruz uh vaguely yeah dude he was the guy with the, he, he played like 12 string that guy no that's anthony pascarosa Tony oh, Cruz okay. was in this band in St. Louis also called The Happening, which was like this crazy post-rock band that he did when he was like 15. Um, he went to Hampshire and did noise projects. And we tried to do a project together called Vanishing Youth. And we actually played one show. And it was like him making like Ableton noise and me singing. And it was a pretty weird sounds pretty weird yeah <laughs> cool i yeah i missed that show it might, might have been before my time too maybe um, yeah i think it was, okay so I like it was, yeah uh but yeah and then uh no, I, I don't know i just never even thought about it. yeah it i was more interested in like yeah i don't know i don't know just i, I have no idea you know me and ian mm-hmm. who started hoax were like basically so fucking depressed we had no clue what to do and i'd been asking him to let me sing for his band forever like i i don't know what like 
I wanted to do a band with him because I knew it would be fun. We could play shows and put out a record. And mm-hmm. I, I, I wanted to step up to it. You know, it's like I felt like the same kind of thing. It was like, just give me a form. I can propagate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That um, makes sense. So, Hoax was insane. Like that <laughs> that band was so crazy. Because like I, I, you know, I wasn't like a, a hardcore punk uh fan like i it was it was cool it just wasn't my thing i was much more on the avant-garde like freaky noise shit right uh but when i when i first saw hoax i don't even i don't think it was like western mass or anything i think it was when you came to detroit for the first time i was blown away by like how popular (laughs) you were like you were fucking huge like you were like hoax was an extremely like popular hardcore band and i had no idea what happened like i didn't like it was it was like oh jesse's in a band and all of a sudden it's like the most popular one of the most popular hardcore bands in america in in like i I have no no clue what happened maybe you can like explain to me how that happened (laughs) like how how did you get so big like what is what is what 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 makes a hardcore band so popular like how did you get all these fans obsessed with you. Like it was, it was nuts. I was blown away. Um, <laughs> I honestly, I think you or like, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I want to push back a little bit, but I think there was a lot of things about hoax. That was like, it was really timing kind of that, like set up, this weird situation like I can't understate like it was like the cusp of the internet being fully ubiquitous you know it was like right around mm-hmm. the time that literally everybody had a was getting an iPhone yeah you know it, it I, iPhones had been out for two years but the kinks had been worked out by then and so there was like all this stuff where like as a hardcore band it was kind of like we could stick our toes into it and be the first ones and it was like novel Mm -hmm. in and of itself interesting and then on the hardcore side of things we were following in the footsteps of what i still think is maybe the best record label of all time like youth attack who were putting out our records and this is just like a one-man record making samurai mark mccoy who like he just is fucking epic designer infinitely patient even twice as much as self-critical as he is patient and uh, two of his sickest bands from western Massachusetts were gonna like combine to make a new band that was gonna be in a style of music that was more it was like better, you know, it was sort of like handing over the best of both of those bands to one guy who was really committed. And I too was like, yeah, I don't know. My like life was falling apart. I was like, all right, cool. This is the last thing I'm ever going to do. What, um, what platforms were you releasing your music on? Like, as I, what was the, what was the first hoax album and was it an LP? We, uh, we made cassette, a demo tape ourselves. Just digital. The, yeah. The three of okay. us like Ian recorded 
guitars and bass himself and Sean, the guitar player of Scorn and who would become the bassist of Hoax played drums on a demo and we self-recorded no we recorded with Will Killingsworth and pro-dubbed the tapes uh I drew the logo I got some book out of the Smith library that had like fonts in it and I traced the hoax logo on tracing paper out of that and xeroxed it and then made the art for the j card using screenshots of that movie the color of pomegranate I got like a, a DVD of it because I had five at a time Netflix and and took screenshots of like the part where the kid hangs himself and like the bloody cloth and stuff and that was the art for the demo and we made it knowing that it was going to be for Mark McCoy who to sell like we'll make the demo he'll like it he'll sell it people will be like oh it's sick this demo they'll buy it and then anticipate a record which will release in quick succession and before we even had made the demo Ian and I were like okay let's do three seven inches and an LP like as fast as we can or like we're that's what all we'll do like all our favorite bands do that like three seven inches and an LP and each seven inch will have one track from the demo that we'll re-record and like make make sicker and that was like the idea from the beginning and we were like, okay, let's do this as fast as can and tour as much as possible. And quickly, we both just sort of bailed on everything else we were doing. And, you know, I, I think it, it's like at that point, Ian was trying to decide like, okay, am I going to do a hardcore band or am I going to do a philosophy PhD? And I think once he decided a hardcore band, he was like, yeah, this better be one really fucking good hardcore band. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I was in the same boat. I was in the same boat. I think yeah. at that time I was in a post-bac program. I really wanted to go to medical school. I had been wanting to be a doctor without really knowing what a doctor did. You know, I just thought mm -hmm. it was cool to like help people and not have to like talk about politics. You could just like help people and like mm -hmm. that is the politics or whatever. Yeah, I was like into people like Paul Farmer and shit, like where I was like, here's a guy not like worried about the trivial things. Like he knows what like freedom means. It's like being able to like walk and being to be able to be alive and shit like that. And then I was like, well, f like whatever, that dream started crumbling and I bailed on medical school and also sort of similarly felt like man, what the fuck am I going to do? And one way to put that off was like tour as much as humanly possible and just put everything into the band and sort of put everything off. And I think after doing that for like a year or two, me and Ian were both like, okay, once this is done, this is done. Like we got to do something else. Yeah, you could, like, you could just kind of feel it. It was clear. It was like yeah. Ian was wanted the stability and freedom to like write different music and try different stuff. I really needed to figure something out. It looked exhausting. 
and I think that, but imagine that, like, but that's that's definitely like around the, like around the time also where I was like, oh, yeah, like I'm gonna, you know, try the electronic music and like, yeah. I should really like step up my. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, just like I mean, I feel like everyone does this in their twenties. You like try a bunch yeah, of shit, yeah. you suck at all of it, and like, it's really demoralizing, and you just try and keep your head above water and. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm at, yeah, I don't know. Your 20s suck. Mm-hmm. It's fucking horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird time. Oh, yeah, yeah, That's uh, so funny. But I, it just, it, it, it was, I was like exhausted after watching like one hoax show. Like, I can't imagine how you did that every night. It just looked like a lot to do. <laughs> it was a hell of a performance, though. I was there's only like two artists like I remember seeing where like I've been like genuinely uh, like terrified watching one was like being close to a hoax show and like the other was was like watching Aaron Dillaway uh you know do his his like horror noise stuff and it's just that stuff is awesome I don't know I, I I it's extremely memorable I'll never forget these concerts that's for sure um yeah, I don't know. It's 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 wild. Um, one thing I wanted to kind of discuss with you is like you mentioned like you were into metal, right? You got into metal in like uh, mid like to early two thousands and stuff, but it wasn't wasn't really your thing till you like checked out like the the depths of of you know your peers' discographies or something like on unshared like what what is it uh file sharing stuff like through aim so like the part that i'm like it's it's extreme music right but like the metal that you exposed me to out in la was like more of like black metal stuff and like almost like atonal very intense extreme stuff um and it has a lot of the similar aesthetics as like let's say like youth attack records i'm looking at it right now um you know, it has like a similar like Xerox art kind of aesthetic, um, very extreme like imagery and and ter- like names like vile gash, right? So like, um, I don't know, like what was the what was like the first like foray into the the more extreme side of the metal? And like, I, I know you would like go to these shows. I think we like went to one together, um, and it was it, it it. I've always been really interested in that community but it's always felt like it was it was like uh i have no access to it and i don't belong in it um so like did you feel like a similar way like what was your what was your method of i don't want to say put it in like anthropological terms of like gaining access to a community but like what was the process like of finding yourself interacting with this 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 kind of like fringe uh music extreme and and like just like what was that what was that experience like what can you like walk me through your foray into this world at all i'm just so curious about it and and i don't know exactly what i'm asking but i just Uh, want to know more about it and i think you're the one to ask um like was it as simple as like listening to checking some stuff out online, seeing they had a show and then going to it. And that was it. 
I think you're right, like saying, or like what you were saying about like, like there, a lot of this stuff, it is like a lot of visual language and that travels a lot faster than actual relationships across communities. You know, and a lot of times I think that the word community gets thrown around in the context of subculture. And it's really important to remember that these are not communities they're like cultures that exist within the broader culture and that's like you know mostly dictated by forms of relationships that are just like producer consumer like it's not a community in any kind of meaningful sense of the word you know it's like people who like the same shit some of whom are willing to buy it and some of whom are willing to make it mm -hmm. And like, ah, uh, uh, maybe like the access is to do with like people liking you or something like that. Mm -hmm. I'd never hmm. really, you know, like, I feel like you and me are friends because we connect on some other shit. Like, we're, like, talking hmm. about all this other stuff, but when you and I kick it, we're talking about, like, food and, like, yeah, our relationships with, like, uh, you know, some girls and, or, like, you know what I mean? Like, this kind of sure. like, personal yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff or whatever. And it just so happened that I have had different friends who are more maybe involved in the production side of things as opposed to the consumption side of things. Mm -hmm. But for me, the path was very consumptive. So it was like, when I started making electronic music, I did a lot of touching back to other music that I I knew like noise and stuff and was trying to make some kind of like connections. And I think there's like a lot of overlap in terms of like some of the dark ambient stuff and the black metal stuff that I was listening to. So that kind of like blossomed a bunch. And then the more black metal I listened to, it kind of brought me back around to the death metal that I had sort of like originally been introduced to in when I was with Bones Brigade, really. I, I basically, I was always like Metallica, fuck that. That's like some redneck shit. Like, but then when I went on tour with Bones Brigade, they like covered Battery and it was just like another, it was just like a sick crossover song when they played it. Like, it's like you could mosh to it just like anything else. And like, uh, I just kind of like shelved it because there was other music that I was listening to, namely dance hall and techno. And then as I started getting more into other noise music that was like different than what I had grown up on, not US noise, you know, you know, cause I didn't really like get into shit like macro info when I was like younger. Like I didn't, I didn't, 
it just wasn't what was i mean that's pittsburgh the midwest whatever it just like wasn't the world of noise that i was like immersed in Mm -hmm. and so like getting into that world of noise at the same time as being around a lot more black metal just in general i don't know like even when hooks came out it was like i was living with my homie who was writing and recording black metal and like listening to a lot of that like a lot of the rift of hoax are super metal you know they're lifted from shit like celtic frost or you know and just like reduced and as opposed to having a song with like 20 parts it's like every hoax song is like a b a b c or a b c a b c or there's it's it's very simple yes in that sense a b c d a <laughs> i don't know <laughs> <laughs> <I> go crazy <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know if that's exactly what you're asking, but, you know, I think the other thing to remember, or like, you know, I remember when you guys were going to interview Dagon, you know, like, it was like... Well, yeah, well, we did on that that boat. We did on the boat, but that was before he got busted with all the porn, the child pornography. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just remember being, like, kind of a little, like, frustrated, like, these guys are they're like where did you get the impression that they were anything but evil or like why are you like (laughs) i I don't like the idea that there's like some like you got to wipe away the mask and then there's like something better underneath there i think that that was like well like you're not an evil guy (laughs) but you make like very You make you make very evil sounding music at times, like in the same way that I would say like black metal is like evil sounding music. I was I mean, I didn't I think what are you are you thinking like all these all these black metal musicians are actually horrible people? Um, I mean, a bunch Were you of protecting them are. me? <laughs> Not protecting you or anything, but I just was yeah. like, you know, it's like. Like, why would we spotlight something like this? Or as if it's just not all like integrated or whatever, you know, like it's like why people mm-hmm. who are like, oh, I'm going to do like a, I'm going to do like an anarcho primitivist power electronics project. It's like, or like, I'm going to do like a country cover of a Black Flag song. It's just like, it's a nice, it's a stupid idea. It's a stupid idea because what it does is like take these two obvious things and like mix them up. You know, it's like a, it's like as dumb as like a we're like a funk jazz band or something. I don't know. Like, it's jazz funk. Get it right. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, okay. I just like, remember. Um, yeah. You know, like, I'm not. The, like, I'm not saying that like shit like crust punk doesn't have like some kind of political function or whatever, but the idea that like, it is the best way to achieve nuclear disarmament or something as if anyone cares what the fuck you're yelling over a bunch of feedback guitars mm-hmm. in a position of policymaking. That's crazy. So mm-hmm. like, 
you have to assume that the people doing this music that is genuinely good because yeah you know anyone can make something that sounds evil mm-hmm. you just come up with some evil sounding shit but it's like are you gonna but like as we as we as we've kind of established it's not even about knowing how to play an instrument making music is this whole sort of like responding in real time with an audience and if someone is doing that and the currency of that interaction with the audience is about like yeah whatever porno grind and shit like they're not normal people there are or like you can't I, I don't know why you should expect them to be any better than anyone else that you would see in any other aspect of the world mm-hmm. who had a special interest in like fucking pedo necrophilia yeah. or whatever yeah i mean because they make music it's like raw right but i mean you still listen to black metal i would take it right yeah totally it, it's still, just i'm not yeah. you know even yeah I listen to totally all kinds of socially abhorrent music uh yeah. with negative messaging and i just it's the same as fucking watching a horror movie, you know, like, I don't know what to say. Like, it's like, it doesn't, when I see a really cool horror movie, I'm inspired by all kinds of things from the set design to like the pace of the movie, to the way the actors look, to like the way all the blood looks like what kind of like production happens that like, or like proposing these really crazy fantastical ideas and how you would actualize them using like a limited, palette of stuff you can use i don't know but like one thing that doesn't cross my mind is like oh damn i can't wait to go out and murder somebody now (laughs) yeah (laughs) so right yeah actually i was listening to inquisition uh in the in the car my uh this weekend i have i had a Mm -hmm. cd it's fucking rips dude shade flaps Mm -hmm. So like when, when you, when you're looking at, when you're right, of course, but when you're, when you're, uh, watching a horror movie and appreciating, appreciating all these things about the, uh, the production, right. What are you looking for? Like in, in, in black metal? I mean, is it, is it simply, is it very surface? Like this, this sounds good. I mean, is there something beyond the music itself or is it, are there things within the music that you're isolating? Like how do, how do you, I don't know. Maybe this is just yeah words. Maybe yeah. all I'm saying is words right now. I'm not even saying anything else. Just yeah, words. Yeah, no, I think it, at this point, I, I don't... There's very little music that I listen to and have that same kind of, yeah. like... bodily response. You know, like, when I think about things, like, seeing Joe Regliani like lose his shit like that had a bigger impact on me at the age of 16 or 17 in a shittily lit room with a bunch of couches Mm -hmm. and 10 other people yeah not because i mean fuck that dude rules or whatever i haven't talked to him in like 20 years probably Mm -hmm. but 
it's like I'm I've seen all of that a bunch. Like I know mm-hmm. intellectually what the power of that is. I don't necessarily feel it, you know. I think that mm-hmm. I appreciate people who do or whatever and sometimes I can see a set that's like really mind blowing but yeah I think maybe when I listen to black metal or really when I listen to any kind of genre based music right now I'm thinking more about like yeah the form and themes influence that you know like but I'm not looking to like get a fix of evil energy sure i remember we went to a show across from i think it was the greyhound station in uh like near in like downtown la like yeah years ago long time ago yeah and you introduced me to the person who um ran the venue right so he like lived there something like that um a dude from like ecuador i think right uh what was the guy's name austin oh okay is the dude who lives yeah. there. Okay. Um, well, I, I was specifically thinking about the guy from South America who made like black metal tapes and sold them to like the, like to a, like a nationalist socialist black metal uh, distro in, in like Eastern Europe. Oh dude, they and, do like split releases and shit. <laughs> yeah. That was like, that split my mind open. And that was what I wanted to do a Far Off Sounds episode about. Yeah. And it just didn't seem like I had any way of getting, making that happen without you. And I don't think you wanted to be a part of it, which is fine. Um, but man, so that, like, that's, that's common. Like, uh, I, I, it, this, the, that world is, is such an enigma to me that like a story like that can exist. And it's, it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like I want to, I want people to know that that dynamic exists, but in going about exploring it, I don't want to upset people and I don't want to, I don't want to put anyone anyone's reputation or I don't know. I don't want to fuck with anyone's like social contracts in a sense, you know? Yeah. Well, that's kind of tricky when sort of the social contracts at stake are like white supremacist ethno states. (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that, you know, I think, that the threat of that doesn't actually come from black metal in our world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if you want to talk about it in a productive way, you're going to have to talk about something else. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you don't want to gloss over that if you want to talk about music. So maybe the of conversation should be somewhere else right but this is like how this is like how that guy made a living though um i don't he was i think he was in school at the same time okay but yeah i do remember (laughs) 
I remember introducing you to the guy and being like, this is this dude, and then this is his record label, and you being like, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Um, yo, I need to call this this person for work real quick. Is that cool? Yeah, for sure. Well, it's in- it's interesting. Now, you're, now your video is like a lot clearer, which is weird. Yeah, it oh, was no. going back and forth for me. It's, it was doing back and forth for me. Well, dude, yeah. do you think that we could like maybe... Like you could pick out the parts that you think are are sick, and then we could like riff off them a little bit or something. I feel like we covered tons of ground, and I don't know like what you want to. Yeah, I mean the format of the show is just extremely conversational, um, okay, but cool. I, I go in and edit it like to you know get the most interesting things. But I I did have like uh, I did have a couple more questions about hardcore music. Sick. Okay. <laughs> All right. So like. I guess I mean this is just this is just gonna sound like a weird question, but like, um, okay, so like, what kind of person goes to like a hoax show? What what would you say like is is indicative of like a hardcore scene or an audience at an, a hardcore concert or one of your performances that would be like way different from like your typical like rock or or even just like more straightforward punk like. What is what what is hardcore about it? About what? Uh, like about the the community, the 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 subculture itself. Like, how is how is your average concert goer different than like, I don't know, a a normal person, a normie? What are like the defining elements, I guess, of like a a hardcore scene? Um. Well, can I maybe? answer yeah, with respect dude. to command just because i haven't played in hoax in like eight years oh shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay um yeah it's that's there's i don't know like I, but are you still like going to hardcore shows out in la like what, what's really. what's what, what are you checking out these days i guess i should ask um i mean covid really knocks me out now I mostly just the only shows I go to really are death metal shows because mm. I play death metal and I want you know it's a kind of yeah it's a, you know I want to hear what other people are doing be current not yeah you know just are some you- kind of like. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, uh, well, I'm, if I play a death metal show, there's probably a good chance that the other bands are going to be playing death metal. I mean, I like the, makes sense. a lot of punk world stuff in LA. Yeah. And we'll go to those shows and it's cool, but it's more social, I think. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'll go to see a band whose metal record I checked out independent, you know, just, just to go stand there and listen to the whole thing. I didn't know you were playing in a death metal band. Are you, uh, are you singing or are you playing yeah. an instrument? Wait, seriously? Like, yeah. Well, that's crazy. Yeah. Check out command. We it's called out, command. Yeah. With a K. Wait, that's so okay. nuts. It's been a while and COVID did the same thing to me. I literally have only been listening to like, dreamcast soundtracks like for the last like six months i've like 
I, I I got like a job where I'm pretty much just like cranking spreadsheet workout all the time, and I like listen to like video game music and just like pro like hit a computer all day. It's so tripped out. Yeah, I haven't like checked out music made by bands in like a year. <laughs> it's so weird. I haven't been to a gig in over two years. Like, I don't even know. It's it's been weird. Uh, I got I got to check Command out. Are you are you playing a bunch of gigs now? Um. Well, I mean, it was crazy. Like we put out a record. We put out an LP in twenty twenty after putting out two different demos that were combined into a single release and pressed a vinyl by Maggot Stomp, which is an awesome death metal label here in LA. Mm -hmm. But we had, yeah, like a US tour plan playing fests and it all got canceled in 2020. So we did like a live thing, no ambitions to play shows and just started writing another record. Now we've played a Mm -hmm. couple shows since 2021. Um, and big Euro tour this summer. Wow, damn, that's sick. Wait, so just a couple demos, and from like, what is the what's the marketing process? How do you get like a European tour booked without like doing a? I mean, this is going to be the first command tour. Like, do you have like someone you've been working with in the past who like did European shows for you that was able to kind of? There's this you really know, big yeah death metal fest uh underground death metal fest in copenhagen that is four or five years deep and it's just a lineup of international top tier underground dm yeah and when they when handle this? booking for internationals who are coming in for the fest right. so that everyone's not you know trying to play hamburg on the same day Sure, makes sense. Um, okay, so what's 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 the name of the festival and and when is it? It's called Killtown Death Fest. Kill. So the festival reached out to you and said, "Do you want to play this year? We'll book you some other European shows so we can make it work." Or did they reach out to like a a booking agent that you have? Or how did this how did this yeah. process work? No, they themselves have a booking project that they'll. Okay. And that just kind of like helps offset the cost of flying a a band over. Hey, one second, Nick. Yep. What's up? Hi, Hi. honey. How are you? Good. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Let me give you a thing to put it in.
Here's one. It's like this bleached maple. Oh, okay. It's usually cheaper than oak. But oak looks good too. Yeah, if I'm like, uh, if I'm now, <laughs> if, uh, if you need to get back to work, we can like cut it short or uh, we can, we can. Yeah, let's just pick uh, up. I, I would vote picking up later. Okay, no problem. You get back to work there. Yeah, we can pick it up. Well, let's see. I've got like, I'm picking up my, my garden resource program transplants uh, in a, about an hour. Yeah, Detroit's got a really sick like uh, gardening community because we have a ton of land. Wait, did and, you Google uh, command yet? <laughs> no, I googled Killtown Death Fist because I'm going to Europe uh, this summer, and I wanted to see if it would overlap because I would I would come out. I'm gonna be in um, Paris for like ten days in July, and then I'll be in. Um, I think I might be in Portugal later this year. Um, I got this like job doing events for like a tech marketing company. So like I'm visiting these different like tech conferences and like helping the, these people like put on events, which is, you know, it's a job. Um, it's good. I enjoy it, but I wanted to see if I could come check it out. All right. I'm going to listen to command and let's, uh, let's pick it up again later. Now we're talking command dot band. Thank you. I made that website myself. Nice. Okay, sick. Yeah, I'll let you get back to work. We'll connect uh, again soon. Love it, bro. Thanks awesome. So yep, later. later. You're back. All right. Hell yeah. This is a way chiller. This is way chiller. I was like totally anxious at work. I was like weird because my boss was like sitting right there. <laughs> <laughs> And then, oh like, God. and then there are these surfer dudes who came in who are really cool. They have a wetsuit company, but they were like, you know, lacing my boss out, um, who is a avid surfer, mm-hmm. also with like all this fucking surf swag, and it was just like, it was really high cool guy energy in there, and I'm yeah. like. Uh, trying to talk about like fucking pedophilic nazis and shit 
so awkward for a minute. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I didn't even think of that. I don't know. But it's cool, honestly. I didn't get to say that as much, or like I didn't fill it out. But like, you know, like sort of like figuring out a life path or whatever. I realized that like. I was going to hit a fucking wall constantly if I didn't get a little fucking leeway with, like, who I am. Because, you know, yeah, I'm not, like, a fucking piece of shit, you know? Like, I'm not a a scumbag, you know? I'm not right. trying to, like, toot my own horn or whatever, but, like... No, I, w- I would say that you're not a scumbag. Like, uh... Very swell guy. Uh, but, you know, like... I'm not, uh, I don't, I don't, if you met me through music, you're probably not thinking, oh, there's a fucking reliable, trustworthy person I'd like to hire at a living wage. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Right. (laughs) So this is, um. This, this, I, I was reminded recently of the time when you played at a uh, tangent gallery in Detroit. And this was either before or after your set. I'm, I'm not quite sure which one, but, um, you know, like, I think I don't, I don't, I, mean, I it's, it's some, some of it seems like it's, you're like still performing when you're like hanging out at the, at the show. So like, um you know the tons of people there they know who you are and i remember like you know the the look you gave people when you were performing right it's like it's it's great it's like it's it's terrifying you're like look like you're gonna like kill someone right i mean everyone's like i've seen plenty of pictures of you performing in hoax or in other acts where you have that look in your eyes like it's it's iconic on on a certain level right but like you were you were giving you were still doing that look like you couldn't snap out of it or something like and like one of these like punk kids like at the gig like before or after your set was just like man like what are you why are you looking at me like that and like uh you were like i'm not looking at you or something like that and it was like uh uh this strange like weird like confrontation sort of thing and like uh then he just walks away and he's just like man i'm i'm a big fan of you <laughs> I just thought that was so like hilarious how you like uh uh had this like very like uh confrontational stare stare down with this like kid in like uh in Detroit and and then like you were like at each other's throats for a second and then he's just like I'm a big fan like it was it was amazing I I don't so yeah like uh um I guess like uh uh do you see yourself as like as performing when you're doing things like that? Like when you're actually at the gig and like, maybe you don't even realize you're like, not like maybe you you like get into the zone where you're like performing and, and you kind of are still wearing that, like, or like riding that high of performing like afterwards, like uh, while mingling about a a crowd or something. I mean, do, do you think you're like snapping into like a different persona at all? Like not like a different persona, but like, do you, do you turn it on and off? I guess I should just simplify it like that. Uh, 
I mean, we all act different in different situations. And the way we act is like so contingent. Uh, I think like I don't know, you know, like out of all the time I've been doing this, hoax was kind of like only two years, three years of like that being the main thing or something. And it was like, uh, a really rough three years. And I like, got a lot of help after. <laughs> uh, from basically people in LA to sort of like kind of figure some shit out. Mm -hmm. So now I feel like the range is narrower. But I have a little bit more agency. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Sure. But it's like, I think that's, it, it's, it's funny. You know, I don't know. It's like always just kind of been a part of me too. And there, you know, like when I recently been reconnecting with a bunch of dudes from St. Louis who knew me like in punk and hardcore then and like, they talk about this totally unhinged shit that I used to do. That's like, not like, uh, like aggressive or crazy, but it's like, what was I thinking? Like, like it just doesn't make any sense. Like, like dressing completely crazy and like doing, like just super cringe shit, like over the top cringe shit because I was like trying to like figure out what to do or something or like trying to like make an impression maybe like I yeah I don't know it's like kind of like really going for something and missing the mark uh I don't know how much I can say about it, mm -hmm. but it, that is kind of, or like that really like at, you know, I feel like I had like a girlfriend at the time who was kind of like really sort of like, um, I don't know what her perspective was, but I always kind of felt like she had a bit of satisfaction that it was like, like now you guys know what I have to deal with. <laughs> you know, he's like all fucking nice and shit. And like, you guys like talk about music, but this guy's like, 
a menace. (laughs) 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 Um, Uh, Yeah. So, okay. I listened to command and it's like, I haven't listened to what I've been doing for the last like five years. Yeah. I haven't listened to like death metal in a long time. And so I, I like turned it on and my speakers were like up all the way because it's like a different volume level with my headphones and stuff. And it's just, just like, like, I got like blown out of my chair. It's like really intense, crazy music, um, which I, I mean, like, what am I supposed to be surprised about that? Um, but like, uh, what's the difference? Like, uh, you know, how's it, how's it been different? Like uh, kind of transitioning into doing more like metal stuff as opposed to, you know, power electronics or, like are the crowds different? Is is like the the process of creating the music different in any way, or is it still tapping into the same, you know? Uh, it, I mean, Ian and I started working together on Command, which is truly his brainchild, um, but sort of something he walked me through, sort of as I was in maybe being was sort of like the most active making electronic music at the time, you know, like I think that 2012, I really started putting concerted efforts into electronic music and was doing it not by myself by 2015 or 2014, I guess was like when I, was, you know, basically working with Gray at Chondritic Sound to, like, hone in this sort of, like, project that I'd been working on forever and wanted to, like, make some progress with. And in 2016, Ian wrote the first, like, wrote the riffs that would be, like, the first command demo. Uh... And around then, I was, like, listening to a bunch of slam uh, and a lot of power electronics. Just, like, really, like, the kind of, like, bouncing all over the place and consuming a massive amount of music at the time. I was kicking it with John Weiss a bunch also. It was, like, sort of, like, my first year, couple years in L.A. And I'm, I, like worship that dude uh st louis fucking native dude came out to la found his shit he's just like um you know a fucking hero (laughs) underground legend total lifer (laughs) uh and i wanted to um kind of like keep up with Ian as he was like writing the music and sort of worked with him at the same, you know, it's like he would be writing stuff and I would, you know, jump in, write stuff, uh, like, uh, write vocals and stuff, work on, I don't know, whatever technical parts of the vocalist can do but sort of like filling in this role and it took another two years to get a lineup t- 
together that we were stoked with and then uh we came out with this full length on maggot stomp in 2020 which uh yeah it's a sick full length and mm-hmm. that's kind of where the band's at now we're recording a second lp cool so i mean yeah it's 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 a cool transition to see uh over the years but you know every time i check out new music by you it's always it's always something i didn't necessarily expect but i'm not surprised you know uh it's also yeah it's fascinating stuff um so yeah what's 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 the difference between writing is that it's hard I mean, it's like really technical, like, you know, we were joking about hoax parts or whatever, like these, I, I, by the end of the time hoax started playing, I could basically hear music and like hear structure a little bit. You know, it's like, if you play my mom, a hardcore song, it just sounds like radio static, you know, anything that you would recognizes a music like you know maybe when a breakdown happens she would be like oh there's a it got quieter all of a sudden with just the tom drums or Mm -hmm. you know but it's not it's illegible Mm -hmm. and i am not musically literate it's super hard for me to you know like i I just cannot wrap my fucking head around like dudes who can play guitar. Like how the guys in my band memorize guitar parts. I mean, it just, it yeah. just all basically sounds the same to me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know how it came up? Like we were talking about dudes who are like encyclopedias of music or whatever. That's just not <laughs> me. Like there's yeah, yeah. Sort of these motifs in music that I feel like, uh, you know, that I feel like an affinity to, you know, not necessarily like lyrical themes, but like certain things that happen in a song, like some sort of repetitive kind of thing that in a lot of forms of music is a verse, something that's like buildups and releases and stuff, some kind of like energy thing, like, like, building up energy like yeah i think that makes a lot those of sense. Are things that i'm kind of like a, a track like i'm attracted to and sure yeah you're you're able to take that like raw energy and ecstatic feeling and just translate it into a sonic uh expression right whereas you know that was that was very, very simple very, it was very, very simple very narrow sonic expression very right. like lots and lots of constraints you know all these the things that all these music have in common is there's the room for originality is really uh, prescribed you know and it's uh narrow and you have to interact with like the boundaries to some extent and that's Mm -hmm. why i like working with ian is he's not 
He's not diverging. He's not rein, he's not diverging with anything. He's not reinventing the wheel. He's sort of just remaking the wheel by learning from other wheel makers. You know, he's not it's it's not like developing technology. It's about using existing technology in like a mm-hmm. in a in a in a maximally efficient way or something. Yeah. And you know, he, he, Ian always says like simple form impeccable execution. That's all hmm. he's really going for. And what I like is like, you know, if you think about it as a design process, like that brief is so fucking narrow. So what you have to do is funnel all your energy, all this effort into one move, basically. These very, there's only a couple moves that you can make. You know, like a game like Tic Tac Toe. It's different than a game like uh, mm-hmm. Halo. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So with um, Commando, it's sort of like we're a bit of nerds about it. Yeah. But not in a way that's like. Um, nerdy or technical you know like it's just that we're not confused about what we're making music about what we're making music about is fucking death metal (laughs) yeah what's the uh what i mean what what's up what are your shows like are they are they are they packed are they are they a crapshoot is there always a mosh pit? What's the energy like? Um, uh, we play pretty much exclusively death metal shows, like not too many mixed bills. We've played a few type of like crossover shows. And there's, you know, it seems... I'm probably one of the most ignorant guys in the band about the that world of crossover. Like we just played uh, Zabalba's. Uh, it's a they're a sick band from the Inland Empire here in, near LA, and uh, folks played with them back in the day. They're just like all about the culture and yeah, just unapologetic hate moshing brutal crossover um and their shows are so cool and everyone's lit and it is really ignorant (laughs) uh that was awesome um a lot of the more like shows that we had been that was the first time i think we had really done anything like that i know we played one or we played with uh we played a mixed bill one time that was really sick, actually, uh, too. With um, the reason we did it is because it was youth attack homies, or not the reason we did it, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, it's we just, yeah, it's uh, 
play with other bands we think that are cool and are doing yeah, the same yeah. type of thing. Uh, yeah. And That's cool. there's, a, there's movement. I don't know. It's like fucking this scene. I mean, the thing about LA, dude, is everything is huge. It's like... Yeah, I was going to say there's like... It's probably the biggest metal city in the states like i don't i don't know like there hasn't been a metal show in detroit for like five years like i remember one one time bone owl came and like i can remember that right and i didn't go it was like six or seven years ago right there's no way there hasn't been a metal show there's (laughs) i mean probably i don't know you're probably right but like if you, I mean, you're you're up on the, like look at like the the touring uh, schedules for the the bands you play with. There's almost never a Detroit gig, right? They'll play Chicago. Um, Chicago's a good metal city, but uh, yeah, I mean, L.A. I would imagine there's plenty. There's no shortage of bands to like go check out on a weekly basis. Yeah. Wait, I'm gonna. You know, I don't know too much about the, uh, I wonder, yeah, I wonder where the sick metal shows are in Detroit. The Sanctuary, bro. The Sanctuary, okay. Yeah, it looks Oops. like fucking Spectral Voice played the Sanctuary not too long ago. Oh, with Horrendous? Oh, okay. In 2002? Oh, no, 2000. 2020, bro. Whoa, Two years they ago. still touring and fucking... <laughs> That's was it shit. like the the peak of COVID? Well, yeah, maybe these shows were canceled. <laughs> yeah, these shows are probably canceled. Come to think about it, man, Sanctuary used to be like this, um, like place where like uh, old like Polish dudes would go, and uh, it was a place called Paychecks Lounge before Paychecks Lounge before it was Sanctuary. It was like a place where like old polish like uh factory workers would go grab drinks after their shift and then it would turn into like a punk club at night uh after like they are, they were trashed by like 7 p.m you know nice uh, i remember some good gigs there uh but it also also they were like notoriously like shady about like paying people as well you just can't have like a nice thing in detroit you know but uh i've heard sanctuary has been a, you know like a reliable venue over the years now that it's in in some other people's hands yeah but yeah i'll look out for like i don't know flag flag a gig to me like if you see that like there's a gig i should check out and they're like a band is gonna roll through detroit give me a heads up because there's no other way i'm gonna know about it i know i'm fucking forgetting like some homies band right now and it's really (laughs) embarrassing and they're gonna be like bro it sounds fun. Like I, I would, I would go check out. I haven't been to like a good show in a very long time. I think like there was like, um, there was like one show we did with like Wolf Eyes and BMG. You didn't go uh, see Drain Gang. What's that? You, did you go see Drain Gang? No. What's Drain Gang? <laughs> <laughs> Am I walking into a joke here? No. Uh, I just saw that there was a fucking Drain Gang show. <laughs> Detroit, it looks sick. <laughs> is drinking is drinking good? Uh, I don't really know. It's like you know, it's like futuristic rap. Oh, okay. 
No, there's. I mean, there's good shows in Detroit. I'll say this: there's there's good shows. I haven't been going out much, but I think if I was if I were to go to a show, I'd want to see something new and different. What was I the last I, show that you were gonna go to in Detroit, and then you were like, "Nah, I gotta fail." I mean, I have friends who like do electronic like DJ shows and shit like on a weekly basis. I don't know, like, um, but like as far as like a a performance for a band i don't know there's like a there's like a cool venue in town called trina soaps where they have like most of the, like the avant-garde experimental and free jazz stuff um like this last weekend i thought it'd be cool to go to one but it's just so much easier to stay home <laughs> i don't know my home situation is so comfy dude i feel that yeah so it's it's been tough. I don't know. Um, I went and saw a shoegaze band like last fall. So it was like I was double vaxxed, you know, well vaxxed. And then I was feeling like like the numbers were down and everything like that. And I went out to a show. I saw um, Peel Dream magazine. And they were pretty good. Uh, they then canceled the rest of their U.S. tour like the night after because like COVID, COVID. COVID was like everywhere again. Yeah, I got I got COVID at California Jazz Fest this year. Oh yeah, did it hit you hard? Um, yeah, yeah, I got pretty yeah. knocked out. I got that autopsy variant. <laughs> <laughs> it was sick. <laughs> I got a, uh, I got it for like uh, four days, at the end of February, and I was knocked out pretty hard for four days. But my, uh, oh, I'm getting, I'm getting like married this year. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this summer, we're tying the, the proverbial that. knot. You're t- tying the literal knot, bro. Uh, the knot of marriage, the literal knot. Of marriage. Well, I'm not sure we're actually gonna get like legally married because of, you know, money, tax stuff, debt, and stuff like that. But um, we might. Who knows? But uh, it's the cere- it's the love ceremony, you know. And so we're gonna have, we're gonna have a commitment ceremony. A commitment ceremony for all of our friends and family, exactly. And then if we do end up like getting legally married, we'll just do it at a courthouse or something, or si- sign a piece of paper. Yeah. But um, there's some people I know in California who like you have like it's like yeah you like partnership you know like you like what the fuck is it called like domestic partnership Mm -hmm. anyway she she's uh she got covid for me and is still suffering symptoms so it's like bad i i'm i don't like i don't like coronavirus it's like it's on my shit list so i'm trying to not put myself in a situation where i get covid again you know messed up and like i i don't know what the situation's like in la but here like nobody wears a mask anymore no one has for a long time it's 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 like you walk into any building and not a single person's wearing a mask the mask mandate only ended here like a couple weeks ago Mm -hmm. are people still rocking the mask inside though um yeah 
a decent yeah. amount of people. Like, I, I don't wear a mask too much. Mm-hmm. But, but I feel like other people are. Yeah. I, I don't know what to do. I mean, anymore. I drive everywhere too. So it's mm-hmm. like I'm in my car by myself. So like I, you know, but there are people who take public transportation who like that maybe I would, I would wear, wear a mask if I took public transportation. Yeah. But like going well, into like grocery stores. Like grocery store. Yeah, dude. It's like that place is huge. Yeah. I'm not sick. Right. Uh, I don't know. I'm... So I just uh, roll with it. I yeah. mean, um, you know, humans are like, there's a lot of cognitive science about how bad we are at making these kind of decisions. And I take a lot of comfort in that. And I just accept that the decision that I make after agonizing about it is actually not that much better than the decision I make without thinking about it at all. So why not skip the agonizing? Yeah. Yeah. I feel you there. That's where I'm at with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's hard to, yeah, I, I definitely feel that. Um, did you get that? Uh, did you get the far off sounds hat I sent you? Dude, I did. I absolutely Sorry. It did. took like, uh a month I, I go to the post office roughly once a month so yeah if you, I go uh, every day. what's that i go almost every day i feel oh wow okay so that's like part Actually, of your... you know not the post office i go to this like it's like a package store but they have the they have you know it's like a it's a it's a box brothers and mm-hmm. they but they have bins that you can drop off like fedex and usps and ups all in one place whoa so I just stop in there and I throw all my shit in. Nice. That's what's Gives up. me a nice nice excuse to go for a little walk, stretch my legs in the middle of work and Yeah. That's a good move. Man, I've so I've been working remotely. I've worked from home. Yeah, and, a lot of people do that now, huh? Yeah. And I have to two things. I have to like force myself to stop working because they just get like get in a zone. And oh yeah. Before I know it, like the day is gone. And then the other thing is like, I have to like, but what are you doing? I'm setting up event. I'm like an event planner. So I, I set up events for like tech companies around the conference, like tech conference circuit. And does it have anything to do with sushi? No. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm still like getting, I still get asked to do these sushi gigs all the time, but the pandemic totally ruined that business. Oh, right. And so I had to, I had to find something else. Um, I had to, to pivot, I had to switch careers. So, um, I I leveraged my like decade of events experience, and then, you know, running. I like did ran you, a couple. Did you put the hoax show on your resume? Oh, of course. Sick ass. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I I saw. I mean, uh, before the sushi business, I was I was running like a few event spaces and like. Yeah, I remember. Uh, yeah, so you know, I I got to throw the Contemporary Art Institute of Detroit. <laughs> on my resume no one knows that that place is like kind of just like a punk house right (laughs) that is my favorite dude i'll never forget rolling up to that place for the first time and being like oh hell yes (laughs) (laughs) and like the 
there's like the punk crew that lived upstairs and like yeah, they totally. threw the show mm-hmm. dude that was a fun dude, that was that a really was fun night that was so crazy we made tim sleep in the van so this shit wouldn't get stolen we yeah it's a good move shit. though that was fucked good. up dude he could have died what no. if someone came and like robbed the van and he was just in there like oh <laughs> I don't know. Oh my god. You should have just unpacked the van and left it. Maybe, yeah. Who knows? Left it unlocked so people could see that it was there's nothing to take in there. It's rough. You can't really like go anywhere and like leave your shit in the car anymore. Like I mean I would imagine on that that tour, like you didn't stay anywhere where you had to like where you didn't have to like be cognizant of that situation. Wait, what? Just like like leaving leaving your gear in the car was like almost never it's like never an option. Yeah. No matter where you are. Yeah. It's messed up. Um except in Western Mass. Right. <laughs> uh have you been back to Western Mass since you left? Uh a couple of times, like just visit. Like my mom's mm-hmm. from Western Mass, so her family's uh they all get together a couple times a year, like out in the Berkshires and, uh, you know, I still have friends out there. So mm-hmm. when I get the chance, it's just like not exactly easy to get to. And yeah, Jesse, great to, great to hang, man. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll be hanging IRL soon. Tight. This was cool. great, man. Talk to you yeah. soon. Later.